Mark chapter 11. Um, r- real quick, I know this is new for many. Um, as the offertory music is played, we're going to be showing the text for the day. And so what I'd love to see happen is as you hear the music, as the offering's being gathered, read the scripture and then pray through it. Read and pray through it. So today we're talking about an entrance, we're talking about some figs, and we're talking about a temple. And you may be asking, what does that have to do with me? Well, it has everything to do with seeing how great our God is and how that changes everything about us. So we want to see Jesus through this text. I'm going to pray and then we'll dig in. Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. Lord, I pray that we focus on your word. I pray that you open up our eyes, open up our hearts, help us see the glory that belongs to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What is your view of Jesus? How do you see Jesus? You see, here's the crazy part. On Monday, Jesus walks through this crowd and they are shouting praises to his name. And by Friday, they are shouting crucify him. And it's because they were looking for a king, but not the one Jesus is. They were looking for a political king, a military king. But they missed out on the eternal king, the king of glory, the king of nations. And I think both of these passages that you'll see, the entrance and the temple, is a warning for us today. Because many people are missing the glory that belongs to Christ today. And we're on this side of the resurrection. There's an empty tomb and yet many people are missing the glory that belongs to Jesus. And then you go to a temple and there's this illustration with a fig tree. And it's there for a purpose. And it too is a warning. To look one way but produce nothing. And it's a warning. And I want us to see this. And this is why two things are are what I'm asking. One, that you see the glory that belongs to Jesus. That you can see the glory that belongs to Jesus and then stay connected to him. And both of those are interrelated to each other. When you see the glory that belongs to Christ, we will stay connected. There will be no fruit apart from Jesus. And so that's going to be the challenge from the text. What your heart deems glorious will be what your life goes after. What your heart deems glorious will be what your heart goes after. So right now, this morning, sitting in this pew, what is your heart deeming most glorious? What is your heart deeming most glorious? Because that's what your life's going after. And we're going to see this through the text. So let's get to work. Number one, let's look at the entrance. See the glory. You see, notice, you're going to notice about five things. You're going to notice that, one, Jesus is in control. Look at verse one. When they approached Jerusalem at Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples and told them, Go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and then we'll send it back right away. Verse 4, so they went and found a colt outside the street, tied by the door. They untied it. They sent those standing there, said to them, and some of them standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They answered them, just as Jesus has said, and they let him go. You see, Jesus is exercising his authority 
the moment he enters into the city. I think this is important as we get closer and closer to the cross. Understand this, Jesus is in control. He is the one laying his life down. He is the one paying the ransom price on his own initiative. No one is taking his life from him. He lays it down. He's in complete control. Hey, there's a colt. Go grab it. This is what to say. Bring it to me. He's in control. Second thing you notice. Notice the ride. Why a colt? Why a colt? It's not a war horse. It's not a mighty parade. Um, I get in, in my mind when Jesus, the King of glory, is entering a city. Um, I, I feel like it should be more spectacular than if you've seen the Disney movie Aladdin or the remake, the glory of Prince Ali Ababwa coming into a city to impress Princess Jasmine. But if you remember the song, he's got 75 golden camels. He has a lot of goats and bears and lions. He rides in on this huge elephant. But you'll notice very, very quickly, Jesus doesn't operate the way the world operates. He doesn't put on a show. He rides in on a donkey. Now, it is important to connect this to Old Testament, Zechariah. So Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he. So they're looking for this king. He's bringing salvation. How will we know? Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. Jesus is the king they had been waiting for. And yet in a few days, they'll be yelling, crucify him. I want you to notice... His ride. You, you know when emperors ride into Rome, it was a big fanfare. It was a big deal. If you weren't looking for Jesus, you could miss him on his triumphant entry. People are still missing him today. What is your heart deeming most glorious today? So, comes in riding on a donkey. Number three, notice the red carpet treatment. Notice the red carpet treatment. You see this as soon as he gets back. He sat on it. What did they do? They brought the colt to Jesus, threw their clothes on it, and sat on it. Many people spread their clothes on the road, and others spread leafy branches cut from fields. Now, I usually wear a hooded sweatshirt. Demarcus, I see you've got the sweatshirt on. You've got a wrestling sweatshirt on. Noah, all right, Noah, come up here. You're on the end of a pew. That's a dangerous spot to sit for illustration purposes. So Noah comes up here, and let's say we're welcoming Noah. Stop. We're welcoming Noah into the city. But what the people are saying is, Noah, we don't want your feet to touch the ground. You're so worthy. It would be better for your feet not to touch the dirt your sandals are walking on. And so they would take some of their clothes, their outer garments, their cloaks, and they would lay down. Don't you dare. <laughs> and they would walk and... Jesus on this donkey would step on these clothes coming in because he is worthy of that praise and glory. I want you to get this in your mind. Thank you, Noah. You can grab a seat. This is what happened in the Old Testament with King Jehu. Right? He's going up these steps. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're a king. You, you can't step on. Here, let us throw our cloaks and our coats down. And these branches, they're welcoming in the king. And they want to make sure that he's worthy to step on my clothes. It's better for him to step on my clothes than the dirt on the ground. And yet, in a few days, this same crowd is yelling crucify. 
So we notice his ride, we notice the red carpet treatment. But then I want us to see the temple. Notice the temple. We, we, we keep reading. Hosanna, which means the Lord saves or Lord save us. They're, they're crying out the right things. And, and then you see, blessed is the, the coming kingdom of our father David. Like they know 2 Samuel 7. And the promise that the king will reign forever and ever and ever. They know that. And they believe it's Jesus. And then he gets to the temple. Now this is the amazing part. I want you to, We're not too familiar with temples today. Right? We don't have them around. Because Jesus is our ultimate temple. But a temple is a place where the presence of God dwelt. It's where people meet God. And it's also a place where sacrifices are made. That's the temple. In a nutshell, if I had to boil it down to a couple statements, the temple is where people meet God, and it's where sacrifices are made. And you see here, and it seems like it is this triumphal entry with people shouting these praises and throwing their coats down, welcoming Jesus into the city. It kind of just ends. Look at verse 11. He went to Jerusalem and into the temple. After looking around at everything, since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. I don't know about you, but that seems kind of anticlimactic. Here comes the king. Get him on the throne. That's not what happens. I want you to see this. This is very, very important. Because in it we see Jesus. In Ezekiel 11.23, it talks about the time when the glory of the Lord left the temple. The glory of the Lord left the temple. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes and he takes over Jerusalem and he destroys the temple. And the reason why is because God's people went after other idols other than God. And God's presence isn't going to be in the middle of idolatry. And it says his glory leaves to the mountain to the east. Mount of Olives. In verse 1, where is Jesus coming from? The mountain to the east. Where God's glory left. But there was a promise God's glory is coming back to the temple. When Jesus comes from the Mount of Olives, from the mountain to the east, and enters the temple, God's glory is back in the temple. And nobody saw it. Do you see the glory that belongs to Jesus? We sang a song uh, this morning, actually numerous songs. I Am Resolved, which talks about how because of Jesus' greatness, we come to him. And then we sang a song about Jesus being the lion and the lamb. And I think we love the picture of Jesus as the lion. Right? That's a pretty cool, strong animal to identify. So strength. But how many mascots in school have a lamb? For Can you imagine Holmes' lambs? Doesn't have the same ring. Right? It's not a fierce animal. And yet we see in Jesus, both are true. The splendor of his glory and at the same time, a display of humility. The greatest display of humility. The lion and the lamb. And Jesus is coming into the temple as a lamb. And when you come to a temple as a lamb, it's a very dangerous spot for you. We keep reading. Revelation 5, 5 and 6 says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. So John has this vision of how it's going to be. And there's a scroll that we need opened. 
We see the people that are saved in this world. We need this scroll open, but nobody's worthy to open it. And this is the response. Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. It's a picture of Jesus. The lion has triumphed. But then, notice this. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. That's who we'll see. Whether he returns for us or we'll meet him when we go through the grave, that's who we'll see. The lion and the lamb. The way to God is through Jesus. The lion and the lamb. It's interesting, Jesus could have called down thousands of angels on his entrance into the city. Everyone could have noticed. He could have taken over. The Caesar, the legion... The soldiers are nothing compared to the power and authority of Jesus. It's not what he does. He walks into the temple. The lamb without spot or blemish is ready to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. I think this, uh, this passage helps us the most here. Philippians 2, 5-11. It was a hymn that was sung in the early church. And it goes like this. Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Or, as Romans 11 puts it, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever. My question is, do you see the glory that belongs to Jesus, the lion and the lamb? Because this is the problem. The people were expecting a king to take over. They saw that their greatest problem were the Romans. And if someone could just deal with the Romans, they'd be all right. They had no idea who their greatest enemy was. And their enemy is our enemy, sin. Our sin separates us from a most holy and glorious God. You have no shot before the presence of a holy God. No shot. Your sin separates you. And here comes the king of glory. The lion of Judah, who is also the lamb that was slain. He's not the king they were expecting, but he is the king that we needed. But when they found out that he doesn't meet their expectations... They turned on him. I think this would be a a helpful illustration. Um, Hotel rooms aren't always what they promise on the website. If you guys ever travel and you look for a hotel, you try to find a decent spot, good price, and a clean hotel room. And so you'll look online and you're like, oh, this is nice, this might work, this might work. Well, it's happened to me multiple times where that has backfired. I remember going to Gatlinburg. Jason Winkler, unfortunately, had the worst room of anybody on the trip. None of our rooms were great. His room was dangerous. He goes in, and there's something on his sheet that could either be Kool-Aid or a crime scene. And at that point in time, you're not really worried about investigating the matter. You just want out of the room. Another example was our Leadership Academy. We went to Memphis. The first room we go into had a smell as if it were a crime scene. 
The AC did not work. The television had been stolen. And when we go to call the front office, the phone must have been stolen too. Right? And so, we see the picture. We thought that it was a good place to stay. We finally get down to the desk and say, hey, we got to have a different room. Like this, this, okay, no problem. Here's a room. We go in. The AC sort of worked. The bed was made. There was a TV and there was a phone just in case. Right? Now, when you get to a room and it's dangerous, you got to get out. Here's the problem. When you treat Jesus like a hotel room, it's eternally dangerous. This is what I mean. When you see Jesus, what happens is a lot of times people think they can just add him to their lives. Right? As long as Jesus helps me fulfill my agenda, I'm good. The problem is Jesus is the agenda. If you're just adding Jesus on so you might be healthy, or you might get a promotion, or you might have a better relationship with somebody, if you're just adding Jesus to use Jesus, you're missing the point. Jesus isn't what's most glorious. Your life is what's most glorious to yourself. And everything else is used to fulfill that glory. But when Jesus is most glorious in your life, everything revolves around him. So when you wake up in the morning, you're asking to see the glory that belongs to Christ and how your life can reflect that glory. Your marriage is for the purpose of God's glory and not your own. Selfishness kills relationships. Living for the glory of yourself kills relationships. But when Jesus is seen as most glorious, all of your relationships point to that glory. Jesus, when you see his glory, changes everything. And the problem is... When Jesus comes to town, he's not what they expected. And they turn on him. The same is happening today. There's so many people that don't see the glory that belongs to Jesus. They may not have ever heard of Jesus, which is on us to get the message out. Or, or they found a lesser glory that they think is more glorious than the king of the nations. So, back to the first question. Do you see... The glory that belongs to Christ. Is Jesus the most glorious person in your life? There should be no competition. Jesus is the most glorious. Then we move. The story continues. He comes back to town and he passes this fig tree. Let's read and then we'll, we'll apply. The next day, when they went out of Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in a distance fig trees with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Keep that story in mind. Next. They came to Jerusalem. And he went to the temple, began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of money changers and chairs of those selling doves. He would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. The chief priests and the scribes heard it, started looking for a way to kill him. Real quick, side note. What was most glorious for these guys? Their money. Their business. And when you threaten their business, they'll kill whatever stands in the way. If Jesus is not the most glorious person in your life, you'll find a poor substitute. That's what these guys did. They were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. Whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. Verse 20. Early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw a fig tree withered from the roots up. 
Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Now, both of those stories are connected. The fig tree and the temple are picturing the same thing. This is an object lesson for Jesus. The fig tree looks like it should have fruit. There's leaves on the branches. And when Jesus gets closer and looks underneath the leaves, there's no fruit. And so he curses the fig tree. And then he gets to the temple, and the temple is busy. There's a lot of religious activity, but there's no fruit. This, just like the triumphal entry and people missing the glory that belongs to Christ, this is a warning to you and to me. We can be busy about a lot of things and bear no fruit. The emphasis to bear fruit is through staying connected to Jesus. You guys know the passage in John 15 where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Those who behold the glory of Christ will bear fruit by remaining, staying connected to the vine who is Jesus. Right here, he goes to a place where there should be fruit and there's nothing. The fig tree, the temple, and what would be said of our churches today? Let's dig in just a little bit. During Passover, which is this time, thousands of people come to Jerusalem, come to the temple. And and just see this picture. It's packed. Everybody's coming. And you have to offer sacrifices. You have to offer sacrifices. And there's an amazing account in 66 AD. After Jesus, who paid the ultimate sacrifice... Ending the sacrificial system, 66 AD, Josephus records that there's over 250,000 lambs that were sold, bought, and sacrificed this week. The economy was booming. And what would happen? The priest, backed by a powerful Sanhedrin, a religious governing body, would charge people interest. You see, if you're traveling and you're walking into the city, it's kind of hard to bring an unblemished animal which was required for the sacrifice. And so what would happen is you'd get to the temple and then you'd have to buy an animal that was approved by the temple, but it would come at a price. And there was up to a 16% markup. So if something cost you a quarter, it would be $4. It'd be like gas. If it was $20 a gallon. The markup was ridiculous, but the priest and the Sanhedrin were making a killing. And then you got the money changers. You come from another city with a different currency, we'll exchange it so you could buy an animal, but we'll include a purchasing fee. And Jesus sees this. And this is the place where God's people should be welcoming in the nations, praying for the nations, but instead they're making money and keeping people from the presence of God. He's had enough. You see the power and the authority of Jesus. Flipping tables, kicking out. Now this is very important because it goes back to the passage in Ezekiel. There's a new way the temple's going to be done. Remember when the glory left? Well, check out in Ezekiel 11, verse 16. Check out what happens. 
Therefore say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Although I sent them far away from the nations and scattered them among the countries, yet for a little while I have been a sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Now that's very, very important. What does the temple represent? Presence of God. It's where God meets His people. It's a place where sacrifices are made. But here, even though the people are scattered... God says, I'm still a sanctuary for you. Why is that important? That's temple language. Why is that important? Because God's presence isn't restricted by some stones and a building. The temple of God is wherever God is. It's where His presence is, and His presence is with His people. And and then we keep reading in Ezekiel. Therefore say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you back the land of Israel again. They will return to it and remove all the vile images and detestable idols. All of that stuff's going to be gone. You have to turn from your sin if you're going to bear fruit in life. If you're going to stay connected to Jesus, you let go of things that keep you from Jesus. Idolatry will keep you from Jesus. You can't cling to an idol and follow Jesus. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. Now how awesome is this? Do you see the glory of Mark eleven eleven? Jesus comes to the temple, looks around, then he leaves. The building's about to be done. In 70 AD, it's collapsed. It's destroyed. What's our temple today? Jesus is our ultimate temple. Jesus is where people meet God today. Jesus is the sacrifice that makes us acceptable before God today. No one came in today with a lamb or a bull or a goat. None of us are going in a temple and behind the curtain of the Holy of Holies and hoping that our sins paid for, and that we're coming in accurately according to God's word. No, our sacrifice is Jesus. That's what we see in Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7 says this, Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Right now, you can approach God because of the work of Jesus. You don't have to go to a temple. You don't have to buy an animal. You don't have to make a sacrifice. The sacrifice has already been given. Remember last week, what did Jesus do? He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. He is the Passover lamb. God's wrath poured out on him on the cross. Therefore, we have access to the Father because of Jesus. He is our priest. He is our temple. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what Jesus says in John 2.19. He says, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. Jesus was infuriated that at the temple nobody was meeting God. They were using it to make money. That's not so today. There's a new temple where people meet God, where sins have been paid for once and for all. And it's through Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate temple, the place where people meet God, the place where sin is paid for. And then that big truth stems to this next truth. And it has to do with the nations. And this is where we jump in. 
In 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? We don't go to a building or to a priest other than Jesus to experience the presence of God. When you put your faith in Christ, Jesus sends His Spirit. And just like in Ezekiel, the Spirit comes and transforms our lives. And there's multiple verses, and I want you to see how this is connected. So what does seeing the glory have to do with staying connected with Jesus? This, this is it. 2 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 4 say this. And this is our challenge. We all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is a spirit. When you see the glory that belongs to Jesus, you're being transformed into the image of Christ. But you have an enemy. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That's what's happening in our day. Do you see the glory that belongs to Christ? with an unveiled face, clear eyes on the glory of Christ. Here comes Jesus, who, I don't know if you noticed this past week, the the full moon, Jesus creates that and sustains it. This colt that was untamed, never ridden, doesn't have to be broken because Jesus has authority over animals. Authority over the weather. There is no glory like the glory that belongs to Jesus. And he comes in and people miss it. But when you see the glory that belongs to Jesus, your whole life is transformed. And I'll leave you with just a couple of things. Number, number one, um, I got a truck and I have hooks on the side of the trucks. And uh, sometimes I'm, I'm traveling with stuff I want to make sure is locked down. And so I'll add a strap to it, and it's like a ratchet set. And you just keep, 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 and then it holds it down tight so that what's ever in the bed of the truck will stay in the bed of the truck. Seeing the glory of Christ is like a strap that you put on and keeping you connected with Jesus. Now listen, you're going to be tempted, and it's going to come in different ways and in different avenues to see other things as more glorious than Jesus. And it might start small, but it starts consuming your life. And it's like someone's cutting the straps in the bed of your truck. And before, no, before you know it, you lose your vision and sight of the glory that belongs to Jesus. I'll give you an example. Sports right now can be seen as glorious. And while they're fun, there is no glory in sports. Whether you win an NCAA tournament, you have a perfect bracket, you win a high school tournament, that glory is fading. And yet Satan will say, this is most glorious, pour your life into this. Can't do it. Just keep on tighten the strap. No, my eyes will be on the glory that belongs to Jesus. You might be tempted right now just to find the right job. You need more money. You see money as glorious. It's just another strap being taken off. Keep your eyes on the glory of Christ. You do that through the Word. You do that through seeing what He's created. You're doing that with other believers, worshiping together. We should be encouraging each other to see the glory that belongs to Jesus. I was weed-eating once. We're at a Heritage Bank in Burlington. Uh, I, I got weed-eater duty for the day. I was coming around the outside, and there's a road right behind me. I'm flying. 
right? I've weeded this place hundreds of times. I know what to do. I got to beat dad before he gets back to the truck and get it blown off. And so I'm just going, weeding, putting a nice edge down. I get to a ditch and I'm, I'm weeding and I catch a rock. And that rock pops up and hits my eye. Now, you also got to know uh, the, the Christmas story. You, you can't get a BB gun, you'll shoot your eye out. Well, my mom and dad have warned me multiple times, you need to wear glasses when you're weedy. My problem is the glasses fog up because I'm sweating. All that dust sticks and I can't see anything. So I, I don't wear goggles. Right then, my first thought was, my mom and dad's going to kill me. My second thought is, I can't see. It was the first time in my life I'd ever seen stars. Everything went black and seriously, shining stuff right up here, just spinning around. And then I hear a car coming. I'm thinking, oh, I'm done. I'm done. I can't see. I know there's a ditch. I don't want to step forward. I don't want to step back. I just had to sit down. I start rubbing my eyes, start blinking, and eventually the blurry goes away. Vision comes back. I'm able to complete what I've done. Many of us spiritually have been hit with a rock that we think will replace the glory that belongs to Jesus. You're going after things that are not glorious and they'll never satisfy. And you can't produce any fruit because you're not connected to Jesus. The invitation today is to rub your eyes, blink, see the glory that belongs to Christ. Ask Jesus to open up your eyes. Turn from your sin and hold fast to Him. Because when you're connected to Jesus, you'll bear fruit. And I want us to be careful. When I read this passage, there's many things that I thought about. You can apply this on an individual level. You can be very busy in life. Right? And and that's all of us. All of us are busy. And you can crowd out and be busy about the wrong things and miss out on the most important things. As a church, we're coming together and there's a lot of things that have to be done. We're looking at windows, we're looking at at the sound system with the clicks and the echoes and all of that. And all of that's important stuff. Is it eternally important? Nope. I'll promise you this, in this room, in a hundred years, nobody's going to care about the windows or the sound of this building. But I hope, I hope there's some fruit that we're producing right now. Did, did you know God's heart for the nations hasn't changed? You guys know the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of what? All nations. Or, in Acts 1.8, be as witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. All nations. Now, if Jesus comes walking in here, and all he sees is us busy about stuff that's not very important. He might not turn over tables, but he'll clean house. Take it as a warning. That's how I took it. And make sure your heart is set on the glory that belongs to Jesus because your life will follow. If you want to bear fruit, stay connected to Jesus. It's to your Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And it's not new windows. It's not a new sound system. It's lives hearing about the King of glory, the King of the nations. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for gathering us here this morning. Lord, our struggle with keeping our eyes on you is a daily battle. Father, I ask right now that you help us see the glory that belongs to your Son, who one day every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth to the glory of you. Father, I pray right now as a church that we're busy bearing fruit because we're connected to you. Father, if there's anybody in the room here 
that doesn't see your glory, but today they saw it for the first time. I pray that they put their faith in you, that they turn from their sin and place their trust in you. Father, we thank you for sending your Son, who is the ultimate temple, who gives us access to you through the ransom that he paid for us. Father, we thank you for that. In his name we pray. Amen.